Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. Today, we're going to talk about the challenges of acquiring talent for your business. It's a real problem. We entrepreneurs know it. Between COVID, the bear market that we're in now, the recession, inflation, supply chain, it all leads to those big buzzwords we've been hearing about in in the media, right? The great resignation, the big quit, the great reshuffle. It goes on and on and on. Today's guest is no stranger to helping entrepreneurs find the solutions to overcoming their hiring challenges. Rick Gerard is the CEO of Stride Search and the author of Healing Career Wounds. Great title for the book, by the way, Rick. And Rick is on the mission to really empower entrepreneurs, specifically startups, to make hiring the strongest people, their strongest talent. Welcome to the show, Rick. Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, absolutely. We're going to get right in and talk about it because I was just reading an article, Rick, of 4.53 million workers quit their jobs in March of 2022, which was the highest since November of 2021. Last year was a total of 48 or 47.8 million people. We've got a problem And, and everybody feels like they have the solution. So tell us about you, how you came to the, the writing the book, Healing Career Wounds. I'm sure there's some great stories there. And yeah. then we'll pivot into some, some of the solutions that you provide for, for startups. Yeah, most definitely. So you want me to talk about the problem first? Because I got we all t- kinds of ideas about that. I mean, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, I, I think it's there's so much that we can go with there. So tell us what you're seeing. Uh, well, you know, here here's the way I kind of view it uh, based off the who I'm talking to is that you know, during COVID, a lot of people kind of hunkered down and then um, people jumped ship because they felt like they were at, you know, they're misaligned with the values of the company. They, mm-hmm. they were not a good fit, right? So if you think about it, um, a lot of people take jobs based on the money more so than they do the opportunity mm-hmm. and, and, and where it aligns with their career goals. We had this big jump in, in uh, you know, 2021, or actually kind of end of 2020 and 2021, yeah. right? So um, where like people are just realizing through this whole pandemic thing that like, this is not, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we got a lot of time to really think about what was important to us. And so what ended up happening was people bounced and then they, you know, then there was a feeding frenzy for talent. And of course, you know, people were jumping ship and taking offers based on what would pay more money. Because everybody thinks that the solution is always to throw more money at it, right? Obviously. Right. Um, but that's not really what keeps people there. You know, it gets mm-hmm. people there. It gets, their, it gets people to take the job uh, a lot of times. But once they get into what ultimately turns out to be some crazy shit show, then they turn around and they bounce again. So I feel like uh, actually a lot of the beginning of this year where people were jumping ship again, a lot of them were um, rebound, like people who left one job and they realized they went from one bad company to another (laughs) bad company just for more money. And then, you know, they, they weren't feeling fulfilled. So then they bounced and, and now you have, uh, now you have a situation where, you know, the people have changed and they, they, there's the conversations that we're having with people are not about the money which everybody still thinks that if we give people better benefits and more money, mm-hmm. that, that's going to fix the problem, but it, it doesn't. People want uh, more out of their career. You know, They want compensation in the form of the team they're going to work with mm-hmm. and the work they're going to do and the opportunity for growth. And if they don't have those components, that's why they're leaving. 
Yeah, and I especially see that with millennials and and Gen Z. I lecture at many colleges, Rick, and when you talk to them, it's like the problems they're talking about and the challenges of getting a job or going up on the corporate ladder and why many of them are opting to just do the side hustle thing, do like five different ones. It's because the employers, the companies are not, the leaders are not listening. They're not listening. No, no, not at all. Well, they're also, you know, they're also not, you know, there's a lot of companies that kind of run their value, they run on values, right? Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of them have values on a wall, but they really, they're more aspirational than they are real. And, you know, people want to, um, they want to align with values that are like, core to who they are yeah like the environment social issues yeah. all of those things and then you have the companies or the, the leaders of companies who just flat out don't address those issues that we're discussing in in society and they're like we're just going to sit it out we, we don't want to have an opinion we yeah. don't want to get political and it's like okay i and i was again i'm here but that's okay if that's yeah. not who if that's not who the organization is if you're not a mission-driven company then don't expect to hire mission-driven mm-hmm. people Right, right, which is a lot of the younger population, right? So you, you do you do have to have some sort of mission or or purpose if you really want to attract a you know a broader audience. But the truth is, it's got to be it's got to be real, and it's got to be something that your company and especially the leadership in the company support and live and breathe and you know kind of uh, make a language and and turn into a daily. Uh, affirmations as to whether or not, like, because again, you want, you want people that are going to align with the organization um, at the core, and then they're just going to breed. And, and the people that, um, the people that don't join, that's a good thing because they don't yeah. align with the values of the company. They'll end up leaving in six months anyway. If you say, yeah. you know, if, if they're also, if you're not asking those questions, let's say, Hey, look, we're going to be at the office four days a week. So it's sort of hybrid, not really hybrid, but yeah. that's it's never going to be less than four days. And if you don't have those conversations, in my opinion, down the road, they come back and go, well, I'm leaving. Thanks for all the training. Six months later, I'm leaving because I really wanted remote work, work from home. And it's like, why didn't you ask them that question if this was like a make or break for them? Because yeah. I'm hearing that from a lot of employers, too, just saying, hey, COVID's over in their, in their eyes. You got to get back to the office. Yeah, and, it, and that's that's a really valid reason. But there's there are some people that work better at home, and there's some people that work mm-hmm. better in an office. I mean, um, you kind of need to have a hybrid environment to be competitive or a remote environment. But then again, you know, you also have to look at the fact that um, maybe some of those people who want to work from home probably aren't aligning well with who you are, right? In mm-hmm. in a lot of those people that uh, want to come into the office, you know, maybe that's maybe that's who you need again, right? So mm. this this is um, I, I still feel like this is a sideline excuse that people want to work from home. I, I really feel like people will make concessions based on where they want to be. If they're feeling like they're growing, if they're feeling the content of the work is challenging, and they feel like they're around people they want to be around, then that doesn't become as big of an issue. It's sort of like the topic about the money, right? Yeah. It's yeah. we we all think it's the biggest deal, but is it really, you know? So talk to me. I want to ask you about how to eliminate turnover, but before we do that, let's back up and talk to us in the book. 
and, and in your work, what are some of the things that companies are do, should be doing for talent acquisition and a few that they should not be doing at all? Some do's and don'ts. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to attract really strong people today, number one, you, you should have a really clear understanding of what your core values are as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, the companies who are winning really strong talent are the ones who have that and they live it and they actually interview for it, right? So you're evaluated when you come into an interview based on whether or not you align with the values of the company. Mm-hmm. A really famous company that does this and they've done it for a very, very long time is Amazon. Mm. You know, they, they have their leadership principles. And like, I think, I believe 80% of the hiring decision is based on whether or not you align with them. So it's your job to, to go into the interview and be able to give examples and, and data as to how you align with those values of the company. It's no different. And it's actually, that's the biggest takeaway you can have as a small company, because if you can do the same thing, then it, it completely elevates the value of your company in the mind of a really top performer. The other thing is you need to have a structure to your interview process. You cannot just go have coffee with somebody or invite them in for a chat and, you know, or have an interview process where, you know, they're asked the same questions four or five times from five different people. Where do you want to be in five years? So why do you like us? Like, you know, those, those questions, you know, after the second time, high performers are like, why am I, why am I even here? Mm -hmm. Right. They're going to duck out. And now is a really good opportunity. If we're going into a dip, right. Whatever this looks like coming up in the future. Now is opportunity where you can start picking off really good people. Agreed. Yeah. So you need to take full advantage of the fact that if we go into a slide and it goes any deeper, if anything you know weird happens, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that like, that's when most of the largest, like that's when Google took off. That's when like right. Uber took off. That's when all these companies, because they took advantage of the talent pool. And so you need to start setting the stage for that right now. Well, I, I think of myself actually, Rick, in uh, 08, in that great recession there, yeah. you know, um, I built a company for six, seven years, multi-million dollars, but crashed. I could sell off the, the commercial side of the construction business. I was over leveraged. I was flipping properties. I had, you know, a millions of dollars in debt at that, at that time. So I yeah. decided to close down, liquidate, and then say, now I'm looking for a job. And to your point, uh, at, the, at the time it was Home Depot, I went to work at their corporate, helping them uh, basically raise the VOC of a bunch of their stores and working with some of their installation companies. And it was at a fraction of what I was used to getting paid or paying myself because I had my own business. But I was okay with that because it was slim pickings out there. And so here I was somebody, you know, 14 or whatever years experience had ran businesses. I was now I had 20 bosses. And, uh, you know, I was there for a year and then moved on and started my business back up. But uh, that, that for me gave me the lesson that you're absolutely right. In these dips with all these layoffs and the reshuffle and all of that, it's a great time to really re-optimize those values like what you're talking about. Yeah. And then when you talked about structured interviews, that's a big topic, I think, Rick, because I know I have a, a process that I think is good and I'm always talking to clients to see like, what do you do in your interview process? And I find it how, how it's not really a process at all. It's what, like you were saying, it's yeah. a couple of conversations, canned questions. That's not a process. Yeah, exactly. Or you pull, pull interview questions that you pull off the internet that you think right. are really oh. smart. Yes. And they're, they're really smart questions, but are they really aligned with your 
values of your company. I mean, right. th- does it even matter? So, you know, you, you really have to put some thought into it. It doesn't take very much to sit down mm. on and write out on paper exactly what mm. your interview process is, put a timeline to it, structure out the interview questions. You know, I recommend behavioral interview questions that are tied to your core values because, uh, you know, we've got, we've got clients we work with that are operating at like the, over the 95th percentile on success of hires mm-hmm. because, you know, they, they've got a completely rigid structure to it. And it's, it's super impressive to high performers. And mm-hmm. I think that we discount that. We think, well, if somebody likes us, we're going to, you know, they're going to want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to work with you. Nobody right. does. Right. I mean, especially high performers, unless you impress the hell out of them. That's and right. how do you impress the hell out of them? Well, you have a really strong structured interview process because that's that's the telltale sign of how you run your business. Sure. So if you're fly by night, don't expect to get great people. You're going to get leftovers. And it's sad, but, you know, it's the truth. Yeah. So 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 we've got some, you know, some great tips here on talent acquisition, hiring. So once you've got them in, or if you're the companies right now worried about this, more resignations or potentially layoffs, like what do you do to keep people from turning over? What are some of the things that you recommend? Well, you know, career pathing people is is probably the the most powerful tool to make sure that you're going to keep them. I mean, and what I mean by career pathing them is helping them get to where they want to go, even if it's outside Mm -hmm. your organization. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you have a plan for somebody and somebody's leaving in a few months, you know, now you can you can get them to actively help you to fill their position. Mm. Right. And then onboard that person rather than, hey, I'm gone in two weeks. Right. So you can actually plan out your attrition. There's there's nothing wrong with that. You're going to have attrition um, if if you can provide a path for somebody within the organization, even better. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I like that because I, I just read a, an article on Forbes a couple of weeks ago, Rick, and I had made a note here because we knew we were going to get on this interview with you. And it was a uh, 28% of Gen Z and 24% of millennials report not being able to take advantage of career development and yeah. advanced training. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, if they're at startups, it's probably more than that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> startups, smaller companies, it's probably 90% of those, right? Like, yeah. So yeah, they're, 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 it's just not anything that, you know, as, as a CEO or as a founder of a company or an executive of a company, I mean, you're so focused in on, you know, the day-to-day activity and being in the weeds of things that you don't think about, Hey, look at how do, how do I really keep my people engaged mm-hmm. and keep them, um, keep them like productive, right. And, mm-hmm. and challenged and, and, you know, it really is as simple as just asking them. You know, it doesn't have a meeting with your people on a pretty regular basis and just go, hey, man, where, where do you want to go? How do I need to get, you know, what do I need to do to help you to get there? And um, let's put a plan and like actually write something down. Mm. Um, that's that's the biggest problem that I see is that, you know, yeah, I had a conversation with my manager. He's trying to get me somewhere. But, you know, there's really no plan in place to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and somebody like me calls and says, hey, look at I've got a I've got a really good opportunity. You were open to hearing about it. You know, the level of frustration goes up. And the next thing you know, um, they're open. Mm-hmm. Right. 
everybody's open to hearing about something potentially career advancing for them. So you just have to make that call less effective. No, absolutely. Talk yeah. to me about diversity. Like what, how, how important is that? How do you address that? Because I think that is a topic that is for many business leaders or HR managers, is, it's, it's a tough one. You could have it written in the handbook, what yeah. diversity means, but to do it intentionally and beyond the resume, as you would say it. So I, I think diversity for diversity's sake, like just to have is not super healthy for a company, but, you know, diversity of thought is huge. I mean, I think that's really what you should be striving for. Um, like I deal mainly with small companies and, and we try to do a great job of, of building diverse thought mm -hmm. as opposed to, um, you know, race, creed, you know, whatever else. Right. So, um, you know, the, the truth is, is that it's important for innovation. Like, you know, if you want to be innovative as a company, then you need to be diverse. Sure. Um, but in order for you to truly be a diverse company, you actually have to change your interview process because you want to, you want to interview people fairly across the board. Um, I, I feel like there's two interviews that go on with every company. The, oh, I like this person. This is the, I like this person interview. And then I don't know if I like this person. This is the, I don't like this person that much interview. <laughs> and it's based off of bias, right? It's bias. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. However you want to label the type of bias, it's, it's, yep. uh, it's based off of that. <laughs> and uh, essentially, you know, you need to make it as fair as possible so that you don't miss um, the, the diamonds in the rough or the people that are actually the strongest hires because of somebody's opinion or assumptions or even their personal motives. Right. I think well, it's just, in my opinion, it's just flat out prejudice, right? It's just straight. You're prejudging that person based yeah. on some, some statistics that you're seeing on their LinkedIn or their, or their resume. Yeah. Um, instead of really diving deep in to see what, what makes them move, what makes them tick? How can they help you? Maybe yeah. you, you, you give them a situ situational exercise that blows your mind. I know that was the case for me. I mean, these guys at, at the Home Depot at that time, Rick, they definitely saw it past uh, the other interviewees were way more qualified than me. They had worked for big corporations like that and whatnot. But at the end of the day, what the, the management team saw was that I could solve problems when they gave me these situational questions or exercises on the fly. Yeah. And they were just like, wow, you get it. Right. And yeah, even though on paper, I had the least qualifications didn't matter. I, I luckily they were people who are open-minded. Yeah. Well, that brings up a really good point. So like when I, when we run an interview process, we don't give the interviewers a chance to look at the person's resume mm -hmm. and like the LinkedIn profile and then yeah. start building their bias uh, library yes. from there because that's dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. They're already going in with some assumptions. Sure. Um, so we give them, we, we basically, like when we do our values alignment mm -hmm. uh, based interview, it's primarily like a person in the company who's been trained to do it. They don't mm -hmm. see any data on the person. The person's been qualified already through our discovery call process. Mm -hmm. We know their position right for the company and we know that we have, um, a solid, you know, a player. Mm -hmm. And then of course, 
now this person comes in, they already have the four interview questions that they are assigned. Mm -hmm. And it's their job to extract evidence out of those interview questions to support whether or not it's a yes or a no. Super, it seems, I mean, it's super simple, but like it's actually a little bit more complex because you have to dig underneath the hood of everything that is said. And that's where you find the devil's in the details, right? So you either find the really, really good things that are on a person's resume, or you find that the yeah. person's resume is full of shit. Yeah, <laughs> both. Yeah. yeah, it goes yeah. both ways. I found that people who have the worst resumes are usually the best people because they don't <laughs> spend any time, like they're busy working. Yeah. They're not going to write a resume, Yeah, you know? And or, then you know, when, you're, when you look at things like schools and you assume, hey, this person came out of, you know, a top 10, this person could be amazing. Not, oh, there's a bottom 10% oh. in every school, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, forget it, man. I mean, I, listen, if I went off of that, my biggest superstars over the last 20 years, you know, I can definitely say I've had PhDs and MBAs work for me. Actually, none of those people make my top list. And when I say me make my top list, I'm just talking about customer feedback, right? Community feedback, go-getters, actual performance on paper that helps yeah. the bottom line, people who bring. So, um, but early on, I felt the same way. It's like, oh, you know, the, the people who have the MBAs and the, and the PhDs, the big top schools, man, I got to go after those people. And as it turns out, there's in my, in my experience, I've had over a thousand employees over the last 20 years. It, it has not made a difference, Rick. You know, yeah. I've had people with a high school that. degree, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't doubt that. I mean, you, like, and if, if you, if you really think back at the people that actually have made an impact in your organization, right. They've all pretty well aligned with your values of your company. Sure. Like, even if you didn't have them written down, you know, you still have those and people who actually resonate with them, but the mm -hmm. ones who didn't are the ones who, who, you know, didn't really make it too far. So the idea is, hey, how about we flip this upside down and essentially put you in a position where you don't have to, everybody says hire slow, fire fast, yeah. but the truth is everybody hires fast and fires slow. So like, that's the reality of it. Sure. But you should be hiring slow and firing slow or, or, or like, you know, <laughs> I, I got that from Steve Newcomb actually. Um, <laughs> But the thing is, you should never have to fire if you do a really good job on the hiring process. The only way that I've seen to do that is, is to really evaluate people for value alignment and then allow them to kind of lead the process and say, hey, look, this is this is great opportunity for me because I'm looking for this, 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 and this, which is usually not the money. And I see that value in what you offer me. And then all you have to do is when you have that information, just make sure you deliver on it. Yeah. That's what keeps people retained. That's a yeah. way to eliminate or at least decrease turnover. So, so Rick, why don't you tell me a little bit about you now, now that you've given us some good <laughs> advice, I want to get the backstories of, yeah. well, of, of how you wrote the book. But before that, like, did you have these challenges early on in, in your career or, you know, like, go, go back further. What was your first job? Like your first job when you were a teenager? Oh man, my first job, I worked at Burger King when I was like 12 or 13. But before that, I used to like, when I, when I was in like middle school and elementary school, I mean like middle school and uh, maybe even younger in high school, I just used to sell stuff. Like I'd always like find stuff and sell it to people. Airheads, you know, anything, kinda... right? Pencils, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you, you don't have a pen here? Give me two <laughs> bucks. Like, You want a slap bracelet? Sure, I've got one. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of ingrained in my, my, my DNA, I think, because my dad was a salesperson. Oh yeah. That's um, a great talent to have, man. Being kind good- of. My dad's a very different salesperson though. He was like super transactional. He could sell, like he was in the car business. So, you know. Oh, you have to be transactional. You got to make oh, yeah. people feel great. And then like, move on next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You think the guy's your best friend, you know? <laughs> exactly. So my first like real job job was at Burger King. And I remember like, I was like, this is the worst place ever. Like, is yeah, like it was so miserable. And I think I actually got fired. I don't remember. Yeah, I just yeah. remember, I remember going in to pick up my paycheck one week with my dad. Cause I didn't even drive yet. I think it was like four. I had just got my workers permit uh-huh. and at my, my, we picked up my paycheck and my dad goes, Oh yeah, you don't work here anymore. I'm like, okay. I have no idea what happened. And it's funny because he doesn't remember either. And then, uh, yeah, then I, you know, kind of, um, I got the bug for, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid. I grew up in SoCal and essentially like my life was surfing when I was a kid. So nice. anything on a board, that uh-huh. was my, my thing. I was uh, just at Ron John here in uh, Cocoa Beach with my kids over the week. Oh, and nice. Yeah. They, they're blown away because the boards, they are just, I mean, that store is gigantic, you know? I bet. And uh, it's yeah, just you have a much big... better tan than I do, man. I, I yeah. Need well, I was at we were at the beach every day this week for like at least you know six seven hours. So hot. We were out there in the boogie board. It, the waves weren't good enough to surf, but uh, we had a good time. So okay, so you were surfing early on. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a I'm a surfer kid. Back when I had hair, I had long hair, and you know that whole thing. <laughs> um, and then I got the bug for photography. Um, I got into that. I worked for a portrait photographer and then I decided to go to art school for photography, did that for a few months. And then I, you know, somehow that evolved in. I wanted to be a playboy photographer because that oh, was man. a big thing at the time. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I had my my boss had actually uh, at the time they had done a couple of playboy shoots. OK, so um, and I even worked a couple of playboy shoots and and worst experience of my life. But, you know, it was it was great. I was just in the back loading film and testing lighting the whole time. It was like I never got to see any of the shooting done. Right. <laughs> um, but then, uh, yeah, you know what? Um, around that time, I was kind of getting burnout on that. And I was all in. And um, and essentially, um, I had a cousin, um, actually my cousin's husband, who does really, who's always done really, really well. He's like, hey, we're moving up to uh, Sun Valley, Idaho. And if you want to come up, you, you have a job. And I'm like, I'm like, how close is it to the snowboard lift? you know, the ski lift. And he's like, well, um, yeah, it's like, we, we look out at it from the office we just got. And I'm like, done, I'm moving. <laughs> so I packed up all my stuff in like two weeks, moved up there. That's cool. And um, yeah, I fell into a career. It was really weird. I moved up to snowboard and then I got into recruiting and uh, you know, the first six months were brutal, mm-hmm. but I had, um, I had a, I had a goal that I had to buy my season pass by November. So or October. So, um, you know, I did, I made it. And then, um, yeah, essentially I just, um, I fell into something that I got really good at and generated a lot, a lot of income for me for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then essentially I hit that kind of plateau where I was like, you know, I'm really good at grinding this out, but there's gotta be a way I can get better and more effective. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of went on my, I don't know if my vision quest or walkabout or whatever it might be, but <laughs> You know, that's when I kind of realized, hey, you know, and I need to get I can, I can get much better at what I do. And then, you know, I've worked with startups that were primarily Silicon Valley um, startup companies my whole career. 
And, you know, I just started to see a lot of the problems. You know, I, I hated the fact that when basically all I was was a glorified paper shuffler and interview setter upper. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really bring a whole lot of value to, to my clients that much. And then I realized, hey, look, it, entrepreneurs don't even know how to interview. Like there, there was, no. I, I've, made, I've made so many weird hires where, you know, I, I had a CEO one time say, you know, hey, like the interview went great. We want to hire this person. I'm like, great. What'd you guys talk about in the interview? It's like, man, we talked about 45 minutes for base with, about baseball because we he likes the Oakland A's. I like the Oakland A's. We both have the same favorite player. He's great. We should hire him. I'm like, oh really? man, God, I hope this one works out. Luckily, it did. You know, but at the same time, uh, I realized you know there's there's a pinch point in what I do where I can provide a lot more value mm-hmm. to the companies that I work with by helping them to build an interview process and structure an interview process that actually works and and allow them to get out of their own way so they can actually like see the top performers that I'm presenting to them mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, we have all these kind of best practices that we follow, right. And these thought process that, you know, you need to see a hundred resumes to make a hire, you know, to, to interview 20 people, mm-hmm. put out three offers, make one hire. Right. In my world, that's not the truth. The truth is you really only need to interview one person to make a hire. Right. If they're the right person, they fit yeah, your exactly. criteria. There's that you don't need to compare and contrast people. Yeah. Right. That's dangerous, especially when like what happens if the your number one choice is the first person in. And then you well, we need to wait and see if we can compare this person to a couple other people. Then what mm-hmm. ends up happening? That person gets burnt out and like takes a job somewhere else. Yeah. Then you're left with, you know, that top mediocre person that you <laughs> that you really didn't want. So a lot of it's just kind of breaking down some of the belief system that we have around hiring and, and building it back up in a way that like you realize, hey, look at this is the interview process should be a time saving process. I need to trust the people, you know, the conduct the phone screen to be able to do an effective phone screen so that we don't bring people in that don't fit. Yeah. And then when we get to the first interview, if people don't align with the values of the company, we let them go. You know, there's there's no reason to bring somebody in just because you, uh, you need to fill the seat. It, yeah, well, especially for startups, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be the pressure there that you need to yeah. fill a seat, but you need to fill a seat with the strongest person, not, mm-hmm. you know, just somebody who can push the buttons and do the work. Who's going to be a headache for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially if somebody is misaligned with the values, cause you can, you can bring in a high performing person. Right. And, uh, they can they can come in and start doing a job, but like if if for some reason they they feel like they're not valued or they're mm-hmm. not getting what they want out of their career, they quickly become a B or a C player. Mm-hmm. And then while they're looking for a job somewhere else, so let's avoid that. Let's put us you know put ourselves in a position where like we can win, win really strong people, right? And uh, allow them to gain value from us other than just the paycheck. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's great what you're doing, Rick, because giving this fresh perspective that is to, in my opinion, end to end uh, to solve all those issues for startups, because I I've worked with many startups. I've been startup in the past. I invest in startups and you see where all the pitfalls are, but typically the biggest cost center is people, you know, and they are also the ones that can either keep you from growing and developing and innovating or they can be the ones that 
allow you to do that and go to the next level, you know, and I, I am, I've definitely been there where I've had 40, 50 employees and the company was not moving, was not moving. And I, again, have no one else to blame, but myself in those times and looked at it and said, my God, you know, the culture here sucks. It stinks. People are just coming in for a paycheck. Yeah. Um, We got to change, change things and be clear on the mission, vision, all of that, and make sure that everyone is a fit. And sometimes that that happens if you take your eyes off the ball, because maybe the business is just growing, growing, growing. And you're saying, well, if it's growing, I don't have a people problem. But then yeah. in, in, in my case, I've hit those walls where I was like, wow, man, I should have paid more attention to the people side of the business. So, yeah, well, you hit those you hit those plateaus in the company growth life cycle, right? Like when you hit that million dollar mark, you did, yes. and when you, hit the, you know. And, and those are the dangerous times because, you know, if you don't have the right people to plow you through those dips, mm-hmm. then what's going to happen? And when things are going well and you're like, oh, great, we're generating all this revenue, you make a lot of concessions. You're like, well, you know what, let's just let's just hire them and hope that they work out. Mm-hmm. And hope is not a great strategy. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to bet my company on hope. So... Well, there's like a really funny Burgess Meredith line. I think it was in like grumpy old man. He's like, well, you can, you can hope in one hand and crap in the other and see which one gets filled up first. Right. (laughs) Yeah. They're one and the same. No, that's for sure. Well, Rick, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? We're going to put all the links in the show notes and the podcast, all that good stuff, share it on social, but what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah. Best way to get me is um, on LinkedIn. Um, okay. I'm Rick, um, Rick Gerard, G-I-R-A-R-D. Okay. Um, you can also, uh, drop me an email at rick at stridesearch.com. I get a lot of email though. I, so I'm like, sometimes I regret putting the email address out there, but yeah. I, I try to get back to everybody. Uh, I'm also like, you know, I have a podcast as well called mm-hmm. higher power radio and that's H-I-R-E power, you know, look out for me. Cause I'm also, we're actually building a, a SaaS platform to fix this, this issue right now. So Oh, that's, that's a exciting. company that we just, yeah, we're, we're, we're almost done with development and we've already got like, we've got about just under 20 beta customers that are like okay. at the bit, ready to go. So that's awesome, man. Well, congratulations yeah. on all your success. And yeah, we you. look forward to maybe having you back again when, when we're not no longer talking about great recession or reshuffle or the big quit or whatever, you know, it'll always be something. You're right. <laughs> there will be. All right. Thanks again, Rick. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. I appreciate it.